welcome to the Self-Care 101 podcast with your host, straight-talking life coach, Pooja McClymont. This show provides simple self-development, supporting you to embody your self-worth so that you can live the happier, more fulfilled life that you deserve without burning out. Thank you so much for listening today. Hello, it's season two, episode seven. Firstly, I would like to apologize for not releasing shows as regularly as I should be. To be honest with you, I've been a little bit overwhelmed with all the marketing bits that I need to do for my business, and I just needed some time to take a step back, reflect, and review everything. But thankfully, the podcast is one of my favorite bits of marketing that I do, and I just wanted to spend some time to put together some good shows that are going to be useful for you. So I am very grateful for your patience. So (laughs) on that note, this week's episode is all about cultural appropriation. And before I get into it, because I'm pretty sure there's going to be some ranting, the point of the show is to share some examples of what cultural appropriation is and how you can avoid it, basically, by embracing cultural teachings in a more mindful way, which makes you an ally rather than an enemy. And I'm also gonna explain the, I guess the reason why I've decided to do this show more so, because you know, it's not like my audience is culturally inappropriate because I'm brown, so yeah. (laughs) But it's something that um, I, I was going through some reflection and I thought that insight was really, really helpful. And so I'm gonna share that towards the end. Now, if you've been a listener of the show, you'll probably remember in episode one, way back in 2019, when the podcast launched, that I called out some BS of the wellness industry. Now, fast forward a year or so later, and basically cultural appropriation is all the rage and very much a topic more people are aware of. But obviously not enough. Now with that said, I hope that this episode is both enlightening to those who have no idea what I'm talking about (laughs) and informative for those who are aware but might not be sure how to support the cause. Either way, I've got lots to say, so let's get to it. Okay, you ready? So let's start at the beginning. What is cultural appropriation? And the dictionary defines it as the unacknowledged or inappropriate adoption of the customs, practices, ideas, etc. of one people or society by members of another and typically more dominant people or society. So we are going to talk about appropriation in the well-being wellness industry because this is my main space. I'm in it, but believe me, the rest of it annoys me too. So What cultural appropriation is, I think, just to break it down from that dictionary definition, the appropriation, so say I'm Indian. No, I am Indian. Not say I am Indian. I'm Indian. And my heritage has yoga in it, for instance, right? Yoga comes from Indians. And the more dominant people or society would be the West, which would be considered white people. So that's where the appropriation comes into play. Now, I'm just going to give you a couple of examples of cultural appropriation. Why can't I say the word that do my head in, right? First one is the use of the word namaste. 
Now, namaste is a is a big word in our language, in Hindi, in Punjabi, whatever. It is a very big word. It means a lot, you know. It's basically us, us, us acknowledging your soul and we bow down to it. It's a very respectful saying. Now, Indians don't typically greet each other with namaste. That is generally held for very uh, revered people, you know, elders, things like that is a very formal way of saying hi. And I absolutely detest the way people use it. And people use it in yoga classes, they use it on social media posts, they use it as a way of ending a class, which is just backwards. But anyway, um, because it's not a form of goodbye, it's a form of hello. So it's, yeah, anyway. And um, yeah, so it's just, is one of those things that people use inappropriately. And then they'll do things like puns and stuff on t-shirts. So like namaste and namaste bitches. And it's like, babe, that's really quite rude. Like, no, just no. Another thing is something that really annoys me on so many levels, actually, not just, you know, I'm going to, it's going to sound quite race specific here, but let me explain. So white classes that are just for white people. Now, what I mean is you as the teacher might not, or the teacher might not have the intention of the class just being for white people, but all your marketing, all your communication only has like pictures of white people partaking in the class. It's the same with sort of body positivity. They might only have svelte, really skinny people who fit into Lululemon leggings in the actual um, pictures, the promotional material. So if you're someone who isn't white and isn't, you know, a skinny size eight, you're not going to feel like that class is for you. And where the appropriation comes into play is that the ancient teachings, so let's just say it's a yoga class. So if it's a yoga teacher who is basically advertising classes that doesn't incorporate the majority, what happens is you are actually going against the teachings of the yogic philosophy because the yogic philosophy is about everybody being one and connected. So that kind of stuff annoys me because it's like you're you're bragging about your 200 hour yoga certification or your 500 hours of yoga but yet in your communication <laughs> I'm sorry it's funny but in your communication you kind of forget that bit anyway right third thing that I want to talk about is breath work right Breathwork, very fashionable right now. Everybody's into breathwork. I love how many people like to tell me about breathwork. Like, oh, Pooja, you should look into breathwork. It's so good. I love breathwork. Do you know about breathwork? Have you ever done a breathwork class? And I'm like, mm hmm, mm hmm. So, breathwork is pranayama, right? Pranayama is a part of yogic philosophy. Pranayama is breathwork. Why we needed to change the name is beyond me because it is pranayama. It is from the East. It is not something that the West cooked up. The West took something that worked and turned it into something that belongs to them. A hashtag just saying. Fourth thing, mindfulness. Mindfulness annoys me so much. It's probably one of the first things that annoyed me actually, even before yoga 
appropriation, mindfulness annoyed me. It was not something that was created in 1979 by a non-Indian. Meditation is mindfulness. Everything that mindfulness says it is, is basically the definition of meditation. But where people got it twisted and felt the need to create their own thing is that meditation seemed unattainable. It seemed too difficult to do because there was this perception that in order to meditate, your mind needs to be empty. Now, don't get me wrong. That happens as a result of meditating for years and years and years and practicing it on, you know, more than once in a day. And you're basically a monk. But for the majority, it is about the acceptance of the thoughts and letting them go. It's not about ignoring the thoughts. It never has been about ignoring the thoughts. All this miscommunication jars me like no end. Anyway, so mindfulness is meditation and mindfulness, I guess, got its win because it was scientifically proven. But then I would argue, why didn't you scientifically prove meditation? Why did you have to create your own thing? Anyway, and I get with mindfulness, you know, there are elements of it where you focus on one thing and the way it's done. But I've been to classes, like, don't get me wrong, I do all of this. I do the research before I talk about things. I've been to the classes and I grew up in meditation. So for me, meditation is what I do, what I believe in, and that's what I suggest. I do recommend mindfulness to clients who are so far away from peace within themselves that mindfulness is a good sort of entry level way into the sort of spiritual realm. But I've gone to mindfulness classes and I'm not being funny. Apart from the guidedness, there's not much, there's not much difference. There isn't, but you know, it's one woman's opinion. Okay. So you can, you can take it how you want. The fifth thing is, oh, this is the last thing. White wellness women, never including the professionals of ancient descent, but they'll make money from them. Now, what am I talking about here? There is this one woman who is currently doing my head in. This, sound, this really does sound like a ranting show, but you know what? Forget it. This is stuff that's on my mind. It's stuff that I'm experiencing. It's stuff that you are experiencing. And I have something to say on this that I think is going to be helpful, which is why I'm talking about it. What I'm doing with this show more than anything is bringing awareness to something that is affecting a community of people, like very much so. And I don't feel the need to... I guess, rant in this, in, you know, different spaces constantly about something. I think once I've talked about it, it's kind of clear, but this is the most recent thing that is like doing my head in is, so this, so there's this one woman who is currently very popular and she is the founder of a company that promotes something called Gua Sha and Gua Sha is a it's well it's metal or it's a natural stone like quartz or jade and it's used in a way that promotes lymphatic drainage essentially and sort of makes your face more plump and radiant and glowy and blah 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 and you can do it on your body too and she is she's someone who has a very like strong presence I believe her presence has built up over the pandemic and she's everywhere like she's everywhere 
every publication I can see she's in there. She's got a big following and people are recommending her to me. Now I'm a purist, so I'll always go to a Chinese person for the Chinese medicine first before I go anywhere else. I'll go to an Indian person before because I want to know the real version of the teaching, the science, whatever it is. Because I know that by the time it's got its hands in a Western person's, you know, um, mix or the other way around, once it's in the hands of the Western person, it becomes something else. And I want to be respectful of anything that I'm learning or experiencing and honor its traditions and its heritage. And this woman is just everywhere. But this is something important to highlight. And this is why I sort of left it as my fifth point. Because I know that those points probably sound like a white people in wellness bashing show. And it's really not. I promise you from my heart, it's really, really not. It is just to highlight the differences that brown people experience in the wellness space. You know, not just brown people, Asian people as well. We experience this, these differences in the wellness space. And when you think about, when I look at articles, for instance, like a roundup of the best wellness influencers in the UK or the best acupuncturists in the UK or the best Ayurvedic practitioners in the UK, they're made up of just white people. And it's like, come on guys, like this is a very basic, that Ayurveda acupuncture doesn't come from the West. You have to find a teacher, a practitioner, a doctor from the East, doesn't have to be from the East, they can be living in the UK, you know what I mean? But you need to find someone of its heritage to make that list really stand out. And really, you should be putting them at the top because essentially all those other white people have learned from, you know, someone in that space. Okay, I'm gonna stay focused now and look at my notes because I know what's gonna happen otherwise. (laughs) But I want to give you a tiny example of why the industry is so skewed in a particular direction. Now, I am brilliant at what I do, okay? (laughs) And I say this with complete humbleness. I really, really do. I know that doesn't sound humble at all, but I'm giving you an example and using myself is always a good place to go. But Seriously, I am. I am really good at what I do. And I have to be confident because why would you trust me if I wasn't sure about myself? I wasn't sure that I could change your life. Why would you trust me? But the difference is between me and say a white life coach, I'm just going to put that out there, is that I don't have besties at the Guardian because a lot of the Guardian staff, for instance, are not brown. And I'm also not trying to be cool. So I'm not trying to create my own version of something that essentially works perfectly well in its original form. And I'm not alone. And this is what happens in wellness. This is what seems to be happening in the wellness industry, that people take something from the ancient world and then they dress it up as something new. 
just to get column inches. It's like the whole pranayama thing. You know, pranayama on its own is fine. Why did you have to rebrand it as breath work and then claim it as your own? Oh, infuriating. And it's all inherently linked and it's frustrating and it's frustrating and it's offensive. So here are some examples. Goat yoga. Doing yoga with a goat, a real life goat. No, just no. Wearing images of Hindu gods or religious symbols or puns, like I talked about with Namaste, on t-shirts and stuff. No, just don't do it. Claiming that your clothing brand or your products are based in ancient teachings. They might take influence from them, but the original form remains the most potent. So, for instance, if you look at, I pick on Lululemon Blessem, you know, Oh, I do pick on them and I really don't care. So Lululemon, for instance, promotes leggings and crop tops and stuff like that for your yoga practice. But actually yoga says not to wear tight fitting clothes because you need your body to breathe as you go through the asanas. Every yoga teacher should know that. But anyway... You get what I'm saying, right? You do get what I'm saying here. By this point, you must do. And in the show notes, I'm going to add some accounts that you can follow on Instagram where you can get some more information on this if you really want to know how it's being appropriated. So if you have a regular yoga practice, for instance, you can learn a bit more about how yoga is heavily culturally appropriated, probably the most, you know, out of all the theories and things. Now, I get that this, all, everything I've just said sounds like I'm moaning that like white people are more able to be successful, but this in itself is white privilege because basically everything that's wrong with systemic racism is, is kind of this, you know, it's the appropriation. Essentially it has been so ingrained into culture, society, that the thought of being privileged because you're white to some people feels really wrong. But if we just look at the evidence, for instance, right, prior to the tragic passing of George Floyd last year and the enhanced attention that Black Lives Matter got, brands basically started to add black people to their advertising. Now, for us, when we're watching this, it's kind of funny. It's hilarious because we can see that you're trying but you've gone to the extreme right and it's not just that you don't you just did that it's not that you didn't have people of color before in your um ads it's the fact that you didn't even realize it and that's the whole gig with white privilege and systemic racism it's the fact that you didn't even see that having only white people in your adverts was odd, you know, that's what systemic means, okay, and it's not, again, it's not, this is not bashing white people, this is because it's systemic, it's not something that you would be aware of, because you have been made to be aware that you are the ruling race, you know, you are superior, again, systemically, so you may not feel that consciously. And that's great because, you know, you have the opportunity to change the way things have been for centuries. 
But we don't need to call a spade a spade here. You know, history is very clear. Colonialism is very clear. Slavery, very clear. The Holocaust, very clear. Okay. But when you think about these adverts, right, and you don't realize that, you know, there wasn't a person of color in your ads, what about your team members then? What about your team members? Because if you had, say you had a brown person who was on your team in your company and they weren't scared of losing their job, do you think that the boy who modeled for H&M would have still worn that monkey t-shirt? You see, it's not just about adding black and brown people to your campaigns. It's about a huge change of perspective. So I'm not saying that you can't hire the best person for the job, you know, that's obviously what you should do. But what if your workplace doesn't actually promote a diverse culture? Why would someone brown want to apply to work at that company? So you've got to look at all the angles and then you realize how systemic it actually is. Because you could look at your own company that you work for now or the company that you're running and, and have a look to see how diverse it is and how naturally diverse it is. Because if you decided to be diverse or your company's gone diverse because of the, um, of, you know, of, because of what happened last year, then check your values, you know, how does that sit with you? Do you feel that they're genuinely changing or do you feel that it's just kind of lip service until the next thing comes along, you know? And if it is lip service, how are you going to contribute to that change? Because essentially change in the world, systemic stuff, historical stuff can only happen if everybody or lots of people do their part. It's not just one person's action. It's a collective's action that creates the ripple effect that makes change. There is a little bit though that I will tell you about with cultural appropriation where I feel like it can kind of get out of hand. There's a comedian called Aziz Ansari, and he's got a couple of Netflix shows, and I was watching one recently, which actually made me feel uncomfortable. Now, what he was doing in the show through his comedy was making white people feel uncomfortable, but that in turn made me feel uncomfortable because I don't believe that you can deal with the atrocities of the past by using the same awful tactics, but I gave it a minute. And I did continue to watch. And as I watched, I realized what he was doing. And it was quite clever, actually. And now I'm like an obsessed fan. But for brown people, he was saying, you need to do more. You need to speak up. You need to call stuff out. And for the white people, he was saying, this is what you're doing to us. This is what you've been doing to us. And the way he delivers this is that it makes you think. And interestingly, as he was like talking through his sketches, I was watching the audience's reactions to these things that I was make, I was feeling uncomfortable about. And you could see in their faces, they didn't know whether to laugh or not. And the majority of this guy's audience, he's Asian, the majority of his audience was white. So I couldn't even understand what they were doing there, you know, in the first place, if they are aware that he will take the piss. But it was interesting, it really was. So 
it made me basically want to be more involved in the conversation for change, which is why I've obviously put this show together. It's, I think it's important for us to help educate, not ridicule. I think it's important to be informative, inspiring and helpful. So that's where I'm coming from in this space. And he also talked about (laughs) all of it you know, all this stuff, cultural appropriation, systemic racism and everything, it can go too far. And I do completely agree because in its simplest form, people just need to be more mindful. They need to be aware and then they need to take the right actions to support the original culture that they're appropriating. And that's it really. You don't need to shout it from the rooftops in like social media posts. You don't need to you need to take action. You actually need to take action because the action is also speaking up and supporting. And I think people tend to go one way or the other. There doesn't seem to be a happy medium, but actually there is. It's in taking action. And lastly, the other reason that I wanted to talk about cultural appropriation wasn't actually about the topic itself. I recently had an aha moment, which reminded me of my uniqueness and my skills. And it was one of those aha moments where you kind of laugh at yourself for basically trying to be someone that you aren't. So I was working with some clients a couple of months ago on a more spiritually focused program. And I was also partaking in the meditations that I'd I'd created for them. And during these meditations, I received some really mega insights and The most notable thing that came up for me was do it your way. Now, I spoke about appropriation all the way back in 2019, but it's only recently started to be highlighted, you know, more mainstream with social accounts and media. And at the time, I'd approached some people about the diversity issues in the wellness industry, especially in the media. And I was told that the race hook, if I used the race hook, it wouldn't last long and, you know, basically asked, do you really want to be known for that? And I was like, yeah, I don't mind. (laughs) And I was, I realized that I was asking white people and perhaps they were the wrong people to ask. But now I see loads of black and brown people speaking up and being taken notice of. So the learning for me basically was that I should have stuck some guns on this one. And essentially that's what I need to do. This is my platform. Self-Care 101 is my platform and it's my most candid platform because I feel like I'm talking to people who are genuinely interested in hearing stuff that I say, obviously, but I also find it easier to talk than I do anything else. And my shows, you know, you hear me at my ums and ahams, you know, coughing and tripping over words is because it's easier to be natural in these shows than scripted, you know, and I do have to have notes because otherwise I I will go off topic, but like I'm doing now, but, (laughs) but otherwise I prefer the natural flow. So you can get the passion and the feeling and the realness. Anyway, since basically realizing all of this, my whole attitude to my work and my business has now changed. So I'm even more confident about what I'm doing, how I'm helping, where it all comes from. And I've got a clearer vision of where I'm going and how I can make a difference in the world, which is really exciting. It makes my purpose even bigger than it was before, which is beautiful. So my message to you is this, spirituality will enhance your awareness and your intuition. Your intuition is your spirit. 
It's your sacred space within you that tells you if something is good for you or not. And most of us ignore our intuition because of the many distractions in our lives. So this is why carving out quiet time for yourself is so important. When you trust yourself, what you know, and you live your life knowing your values, you'll not only be happy, but you'll do the right thing for you and the world every time. So this is how you contribute to being an ally and not an enemy. And for so long, I've been told to be quiet. Don't say this. Don't say that. Most of the time, it's my culture. We're very much a put up and shut up culture, but I can't do it anymore and I won't. So this doesn't mean that I'm going to use my voice to alienate people, not at all. And if I ever make anyone feel that way, please do like call me out on it because that is never going to be my intention. My intention always comes from a place of love. But I do feel like I have an obligation to my heritage and culture to ensure that I do my bit to keep it protected. Now that is living in your truth right there. The intention is good. Therefore, the delivery, the delivery of that intention can be well received. Failing that, I'm going to sound like a stroppy teenager, but it's my life and I'll do what I want to. And why not take that as your new affirmation too? It's powerful stuff, you know, embracing your truth, speaking from it, acting from it, and it will essentially make you feel better about yourself, the world around you, your contribution to to the world, and essentially make it a better place to be in. Thank you for listening to the Self Care 101 podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate and review over on Apple Podcasts so that other people like you can find the show. For more information about the work I do, head over to my website, poojamaclimont.com. And for daily inspiration, please follow me on Instagram at poojamaclimont. Sending love and talk to you soon.